Ephesians chapter 1. Someone jokingly said last week that they have buckled their seatbelt in the belief that we will be preaching out of Ephesians till the rapture. Well, I don't know about that, um, only because I don't know when the rapture is. But I can tell you this, that I hope and my desire is, is that everyone continues to get fed from the deep riches that is offered up to us here in Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made unto, known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I hope to dive deep into this morning the ultimate or God's ultimate purpose in this salvation we've been learning about. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for um, this renewing uh, spirit that we feel in our hearts this morning, that we gather here with excitement to learn about your word, that we sing with praise because of the wondrous works you've done in our lives, that we've gathered here, Lord, uh, with the earnest expectation that you will arrive and feed us from your word. Lord, hide me behind the cross. May today your name be exalted among the heathens. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning I want to focus on this one specific verse. Verse number 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, we have in the last several weeks looked at God and his choosing of us in this great salvation. Last week we looked how God hath predestinated us unto the adoption of his children. 
Now we ended last week with that view in, in our minds that God did predestinate us. We were predestined to be brought into the, His family through Christ. Now, we ended that verse 5 last week that with this question of for why and how did God do this? How did God choose? How did God predestinate? Well, verse 5 answers that for us when it says that he did this according to the good pleasure of his will. That is how all of that was carried out in verses 4 and 5. It was carried out to the, according to the pleasure of his will. It pleasured him. It pleased him to make this decision. Now, though, we must ask ourselves this question, why? Why did God do this? Why did God choose? Why did God predestinate? What was God's ultimate purpose in choosing to save us? Well, Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, knew that this was going to be the next question of our hearts. Why did God choose to save me? We ask ourselves, we hear people say that we believe that the Lord saved me. I know that the Lord saved me. I know that he did this, but I don't know what his will is for my life. Nonsense. Here we see in Ephesians chapter 1 what God's will is for your life. What God's purpose is for us in our lives. It is to the praise of the glory of His grace. There it is. There is God's will for us in our lives. For those who are saved that we praise the glory of His grace. Now this is what we've seen already in verses 5 and 6. We've seen first the direction of the appointment that he has chosen us. Us, that was the direction of his choosing. What was the direction of the choosing that he chose us? But what was the, the, the direction of the relationship? That we should be family. But now six brings us to this understanding. The goal of all of this by this one connecting word, two. This is why we were chosen. This is why we are predestinated. Two is a preposition that points to the primary point of something. It means it points to something. Two means that Paul is preparing to unveil the purpose of something. So we say this, that all of this that we have seen thus far about God and his plan of salvation, about the blessings that he has given us, all spiritual blessings, about choosing, about adopting, about predestinating. All of this purpose was done for what? Why was this done? It was all done, and it could be answered in this. To, to what? To the praise of the glory of his grace. So indeed we say, we understand that God did his work according to the pleasure of his will, but it was for the purpose that we should offer glory and praise for his grace. Wherein this, we, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. 
God's ultimate purpose in our lives is that we should praise Him. Paul here highlights this, that this new life that we have in Christ, it's not because of you, it's in spite of you. It's not because of your successes, it's in spite of your failures. God chose us unto salvation for His praise. Now, some would say in this very moment that this is unfair. That everything that we have just uncovered in verses 4 and 5 is unfair. How could 4 and 5 lead you to this next statement that God has done all of this so that we could praise the glory of His grace? How can we praise the glory of His grace? Because there's others who have not experienced the glory of His grace. Uh, just this morning downstairs, we were reasoning back and forth with each other, and we were talking about, uh, so to say today, that me and Brother Green were convicted of murder. And as we stood before the judge, and the judge was handing down the sentences, we are both guilty of murder. The judge hands down his sentence upon me and says, you are sentenced to death. And then he looks at Brother Green and says, Mr. Green, we, are, we have discussed this, and I am going to give you life. I've waived the sentence of death, and, and you have now freedom. Now we sit back and say, who was unfair? Who is the recipient of unfairness? It was not me. It was Brother Green. Because he was given life when he was guilty of the same crime that I was. So it is even in our own salvation. Yes, God has chosen us. Yes, God has predestined us. This does not make God unfair. This makes us even more to praise and offer up glory for his grace because we were the recipients of mercy and grace when we absolutely deserved the full sentence of death. This makes what we have received unfair, not the fact that people are still going to go to hell. And this is why we praise God. This is why we offer praise to Him. Paul says here that this salvation is praise to God alone. Because though he deserved the same sentence, grace showed up accompanied by mercy. Paul further tries to calibrate our minds about the praise that God deserves. When people recognize, when people come to the full understanding that God did this work alone, when we're brought to the understanding that this salvation that we have is his sovereign decision alone it brings us to a deeper point of praise unto him because we recognize that we were incapable of experiencing this out experiencing this outside of him now some commentators have taken this verse to say the praise of his glorious grace which really detracts from what is written here, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It is indeed the glory of His grace that 
we are praising. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, we seen last week. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See that? It is to say that the gospel in its essence of what it is, is the glory of God. The gospel is the glory of God. You see, our first thoughts, when we think of our salvation, our first step is to say that salvation is what prevented us from going to hell. It's true. This is great. This is grand news. We, we say that our salvation is what has kept us from God's wrath. And this is also true. But first and foremost, salvation is the glory of God manifested among mankind. In and of itself is the glory of God. It is the glory of God in which mankind has been embraced by God's love. So what is his emphasis? One last time before we move to the next portion of the verse. It is to say this. If you view your salvation that you have as some way or somehow that you participated in gaining this salvation that you have attempted to detract from the glory of God and attempting to put yourself in a place in which you have obtained your salvation. You have attempted to rob God. And I emphasize, you have attempted to rob God because in this attempt you have not accomplished anything. In regard to your view, it was all put into motion by God for God to receive the praise of the glory of his grace. Then we must demand of ourselves at once here, if we are going to try to credit ourselves with salvation, which many try to do. I looked to him. I turned around. It was my decision. It was what I did. I realized I was at a place where I needed him. Okay, then. Here it is, the opportunity where Paul would say, I've turned around, I've made the decision, I, I, I. Well, here in this great salvation, Paul has reached a point where he should now insert himself to also receive glory for his decision to turn to God. But that's not where we arrive. Matter of fact, if we are honest with ourselves, honest with ourselves about ourselves, we would arrive at a place where we would confess that there is nothing good about ourselves. And when we get there, that we recognize that there's absolutely nothing good about ourselves, and yet God still acted on our behalf, the attitude of gratitude will change. Now, what does he say here? Uh, to the praise of the glory of God's grace, His grace, wherein you hath made yourself accepted in the beloved. It's not what the text says. It wasn't that here Paul says that you synergistically worked with God in response out of your own depravity to bring you to a place where you would be accepted in the beloved. It's not what it says. 
It is not here that we see any of such thing. We praise the glory of God's grace for this reason alone, that it is all of God. And it goes on to say, wherein who? He hath made us. You see this word? Made. He made us accepted in the beloved. Not you. It wasn't your turnaround. It wasn't all of a sudden that out of all the fallen humanity, you had a wise idea that you're just one step above the rest of all the fallen mankind. It's no true statement in that at all. We live in this day, though, where he says, wherein hath made us accepted in the beloved. We, we live in a day where people are longing for acceptance. They're looking for it, it seems, every time we turn around. One doctor commented about this out of acceptance, he was a psychologist. He said that he believes that one of the greatest psychological needs among mankind is that man would find acceptance. We see that even today. I watched a true crime video the other day about these two young men who had fallen into this gross crime and committed murder. The one man said, I, I had grown up without friends and this man had befriended me and that is why I followed after him. People will commit crimes to find acceptance. They will steal to find acceptance. They will rob to find it. acceptance. Matter of fact, it has always baffled me the distance that people will go in these gangs today in America just to find acceptance in these gangs. I mean, just watch the news. People are willing to dye their hair. People are willing to mutilate their gender just to find acceptance. They're willing to change their fashion. They're willing to change their speech. They're willing to do this all just for the sake of being accepted. The world cries, if you will not be like us, then you are not acceptable to our group. Yet our text says here, we have found acceptance. We are indeed accepted. But we must not pass by our grand opportunity that we spoke of here earlier. We said, where is our opportunity to assert our name in this great salvation? Where is our opportunity to lift ourselves up wherein he hath made us? Here it is, made us accepted in the beloved. It will not fit anywhere in this text. Matter of fact, it will not fit in any pages of Scripture where you will find that mankind has somehow been able to look to God in the natural state. He hath made us. He did not make you, but that did not make you accepted in the beloved. Well, I saw my need of him. Yes, you saw your need of him because the glorious light of the gospel shined down upon you in darkness. Is that not what the verse just said? How did the glorious light of the gospel shine down upon your heart? He, Paul starts off that text and said, God commanded it. It was God's command. Well, I confessed my sin. Yes, that was only because God called you to repent. But I, but, but I, yes, you did all those things. But look again. It was him alone that made us accepted in the beloved. 
all of those actions that you did did not make you accepted. It was a simple response to the command that God had given the sinner to repent of their sins. None of those things made us accepted. Yet they are, uh, the, we cannot deny the human responsibility to repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Yet the spurring of it on was before the foundations of the world. And in that divine moment of time where God brings the unregenerate sinner to him, it was a simple time planned before the foundations of the world in which the Holy Spirit would act upon the unbeliever. God did this alone. We try to find a place to put our own pronoun, we, us, I, but it is said here, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. It was God alone. One preacher this past weekend said, and I love this, that God was sovereign long before John Calvin. So what of us then? Church is not like the military. <laughs> After physical fitness, then we are accepted. After a test study, then we're accepted into the secret service. After a test of college and a proof of GPAs, then you're accepted in the college. No, our text said he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I love this. Why? Because it is to say, in spite of my failures, he hath made me accepted in the beloved. In spite of my aches and pains in this life, he has made me accepted and beloved. In spite of our grief, we are accepted and beloved. Regardless if we're lame, he's made us accepted and beloved. Regardless if we're poor, we have been made accepted and the beloved. While you are despised and rejected by this world, he has made us accepted and the beloved. We're persecuted by the world, but he has made us accepted in the beloved. Why did he do it? Well, that is, what is that reason? The reason lies in that phrase, in the beloved. It's in Christ that we've been accepted. It's all in Christ. The whole of redemption is the manifestation of the glory of God. It has been made manifest in Christ. But I think we owe it all to ourselves here to ask ourselves and question about this wording here in verse 6. We've been faithful to go by verse by verse, so this should strike us as strange, different, interesting. It should intrigue our minds to dig deeper. Have we not seen it so far? I mean, just in verse 1, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Grace In verse 2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our uh, uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heaven in Christ, predestinated unto the adoption of his children by Christ. And yet, when we arrive at verse 6, Paul's reference to Christ here says, He hath made us accepted in the beloved. It is that Paul is trying to unveil something deeper to us. Not just to say that he hath made us accepted in Christ. Though that is very true. Paul is trying to highlight a deeper relationship. One unknown to us until this very moment. 
If we allow our minds to go back throughout the scriptures, we can go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. Remember when John the Baptist was standing there and lo, there became Jesus from out the crowd and John baptized Jesus and there was a voice from 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 heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke chapter 9 and verse 35, the Bible says, And there came a voice out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. God's confession of Jesus Christ in the relationship of His care and His affection and His benevolence towards His Son was that He was beloved. He was beloved, esteemed, favored, that he was worthy of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says in the second part of that verse, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was the object of God's love. God did not create mankind so that he could experience love. Before the foundations of the world, all of Jesus' love and benevolence was satisfied in this love that he had for his son. We was not created to fix a missing link. We was not created so that God could look down from heaven and have someone that he loved. I love what John chapter 17 and verse 23 says in that high priestly prayer. Don't miss this. I and them and thou and me and they that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Don't miss this last part. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He was the beloved. God did not create us to feel this love. Love existed before us. There was already before time and space and matter a recipient of God's benevolence, and that was in Jesus Christ. Christ felt all the love from God the Father. He was beloved by God. Yet... We have become in his son by adoption children of God. There is no better term that exists to better express the relationship that God had with his son than in this term beloved. There's no better offer. There's no better explanation. We would say In mankind, when we look upon our children, we say, I love you with all my heart. That is this greater terminology that God uses for his son here. That the greatest um, word that could be used to show God's affection and love and care for Jesus Christ was this word, beloved, beloved. It means to the eternally loved one. So if this is the measure of God's love for his son, then it brings us to a greater understanding of of this verse. 
that we too have been accepted into the greatest love this world has ever known. And by the way, uh, the greatest love in all of eternity. In eternity past, before the foundations of the world, there was this love, this beloved that exists. And we, through Christ, in Christ, experience the same love that Christ experienced from God the Father. This is what Paul is saying. This is a grand thing that we have here. <laughs> this is so much more than to say we are in Christ. It is to say we are loved just like Christ. Well, we may say to ourselves, explain more to me of just how much love we have today from God. Give me more value to this word, beloved. Help my fleshly mind understand the depths of what it means to be beloved. Well, the only way that you could really take this in is to approach the Gospels in the recognition of your mind that God is omniscient. He knows all things. If we approach the gospel that he is omniscient, since he is omniscient, let this settle in our hearts. And then we ask ourselves again, he is omniscient, he knows all before the foundations of the world, and yet the text here says we are beloved. Give me further emphasis of this. You know, it is something that we laugh about in society today, that it seems when somebody gives their child basically a smart off or somebody messes with their kids, we often say you better not mess with them because mama bear is coming. It is the say that you better not fool around because mama is going to make things right if you mess with her baby. No nonsense. Don't cross my child. Yet God is omniscient. God is not surprised. He, he was not surprised that when his son arrived here that he came unto his own and his own received him not. We struggle with this in society today. We can't stand the thought of our child being rejected. We can't stand the thought of someone mistreating our child. Think about the emotions that well up inside of us when we see someone doing ill to our child. Why are they treating my kid that way? And we well up with pride, yet God knew that his son would be rejected. He knew that his own would receive him, not yet so that we are so loved, so that we could be a part of this beloved God sent his son Anyway, we are so much a part of the beloved that even though our minds cannot handle when someone mocks our children, God in his omniscience, for the sake of the love that you would one day experience, he sent his own son to be mocked, his own beloved son. We worry about our children in this world, that the world is going to tempt them and put wickedness before them and vileness before them. And we try to do everything we can to shield them. Yet God knew that Satan would attempt to cause God to stumble. God knew that the world would be vile towards his son in front of his son. Yet God sent his son anyways 
as he walked down the Via Della Rosa, God did not block from his omniscient mind that his son would one day walk the Via Della Rosa, heading to Golgotha's hill, the whipping, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the spear in his side. It was not hid from God's mind, yet he did it anyways. Why? So that you could be accepted and to be loved. How much does God love us? What is this love that is far beyond our understanding? What is this God that, that had loved his son in this benevolent way before the foundations of the world? What kind of love is this? It is the kind of love that will for, uh, sacrifice your only begotten son so that fallen humanity can be made right with God and so that we too can feel the love that Christ felt from his father. Through Christ, we have an identity with Christ, and through the atonement, we are brought into one body, Christ being the head, so that we might experience the love that Christ felt from God the Father before the foundations of the world, a love that existed before sin. You see, there's, this is an un, unhindered love. We see that today, do we not, in our own societies, what hindered love looks like? I love you because. <laughs> I love you because what you do for me. <laughs> I love you because of the, how I profit from your relationship with me. Love is multifaceted today of what we make love to be. But the purest love that ever existed, existed before sin, is the love that God had for his son, his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. And yet our text says to us, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. This is great. So, because of what Christ did, in obeying the command of his father, God proposed a plan. Jesus carried the plan out. God chose those who would be in his son's hand for redemption, planned to adopt us to bring us into his family. He didn't bring us into the family so that he could run around the house and say, this is my adopted child. We see that, don't we? People say, well, yes, you're my kid, and this is my kid, and then this one's adopted. As if to say that they have less worth in the home, that they have less affection in the home, but not with Christ. I chose you. I adopted you. I brought you into the family and give you the same love I gave my only begotten son. Don't ever take for granted this sentence here. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Sitting here in the pew today, it is baffling that God loves you the same way he loves Christ. Is it not? In spite of your failures, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your sins, Christ hath 
atoned for all of this, past, present, and future on Calvary's hill. And God looks down upon you and seeing the blood shed for you on Calvary's hill and loves you in the same way. He loves Jesus. No wonder, he says in the beginning of verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all him. I, I praise you because what has happened in my life, I was unworthy. There was a time in my life when I was unwilling, but I did not know yet what God has done. And now that God has done it, how can I insert myself in any manner that I have arrived, that I made this decision? No, it is all, all for the glory of his grace. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Lord, as we continue to dive into Ephesians and learn these deep truths and this doxology of praise that Paul offers up here as he views the mighty works that you have done in his life. It was all you, Lord. It was all you. Lord, we praise you and magnify your name for allowing us to be accepted in the beloved, for calling us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Yet we recognize this responsibility for us as believers to go and to preach and to call the sinner into repentance. It is that your plan that the elect would be called out of darkness in the marvelous light through the preaching of the gospel. Lord, may we never find ourselves in a place where your sovereignty discredits our responsibility. Lord, give us the desire and the passion to preach your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.